foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. It's the Move Your DNA podcast with Katie Bowman. I am Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA and a bunch of other books about movement. This show is about how movement works on the cellular level, how to change your position as you move and why you might want to, and how movement works in the world, also known as movement ecology. All bodies are welcome. Are you ready to get moving? And I say blackbird sitting on the telephone line. What's your species? What's your name? Oh, what's your smaller one and I call with my nose am I a raven or am I a crow hey y'all that is a little bit of raven and crow performed by the Wilderbeats on their live in concert album the song was written by Ashley Moffat who now performs it solo her website is ashleymoffat.com and you can find her on Instagram at Lil Miss Moffat, L-I-L-M-I-S-S-M-O-F-F-A-T. I am playing Raven and Crow because today we are talking about nature education and sometimes getting a bit more nature education in your life can be as simple as changing the music you're playing. We've been listening in our house to this album at home and during car rides and frankly, I am learning and retaining more than I did in high school. And... The method of learning, learning facts via oral or song formats, it works well for young brains. And I mean, I don't have a young brain, and I think it works well for me too. If you've been a longtime listener, you know that I'm a huge fan of vitamin nature for adults and children, and thus I'm a fan of nature school, forest kindergarten, nature programs, etc. We're going to be talking about these on our show today. I am interviewing the director and the teacher from our local nature education program, Olympic Nature Experience. It is their goal and mind to connect as many people, kids, and their communities to nature. So listen up. 
But before we get to that interview, our mailbag runneth over. Thanks, everyone, who's sending in questions. So this is a question from Mahina. Mahina. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. That's Everyone used to call me Caddy. Caddy Bauman. So there you go. With apologies. How do I continue to move my body and get the movement nutrients my body needs and the connection to nature that I crave while I'm suffering through prolonged phases of illness? I have a two and a half year old and we've all had colds and flu and she's listing kind of like this, all these things that they've had in the last 30 days. We live in Seattle, not too far from me. So it's cold and wet outside during the winter, which I actually love when I'm healthy, but it is a real challenge dealing with respiratory illness because the cold air makes us all cough more and I'm afraid of getting pneumonia. I feel like I'm losing all the progress I've made over the last six months because I've cooped, I'm cooped up inside. And also I've been told before that sometimes if you do inversions like downward dog or other stretches during a sinus infection, it can spread it and make the illness worse. Is that true or not? So to my answer is I have no idea if inversions or if movement moves the fluid of infection. Hmm. I don't know. You'll have to talk to someone besides me. And then, but two, how do I exercise when I'm, when I feel like I'm trapped inside? So I have a lot of thoughts on that, but to keep it short, you've probably noticed that around wintertime, I start posting pictures where I'm showing indoor obstacle courses. Sometimes they're in our facility here. They're in homes. We just did the dynamic aging retreat and we created it snowy up there in New York right now in February. And we had 150 people going through kind of a, a natural movement obstacle course. And it doesn't require any special equipment, although I do recommend if you're going to be inside for a long time, a two by four is such a great, inexpensive, easy to find piece of equipment that you can do a ton of stuff on for you and your two and a half year old and anyone else you might have there. But you build it out of pillows and, and you create you could create a loop through your house. And this goes for snow days as well. This goes for for days when maybe you can can get outside, but you just aren't going to. Obstacle courses are great and it can be pillows and cushions and yeah, things might be messy when you're done, but then there's just more movement to put things back. So that's one way, easy way to get more movement when you can't get outside. You can stay connected to nature because you're still tuning into those movements that your body uses in nature, right? So the calf stretch is nature, depending on how you want to think about it. It's it's that little bit of uphill movement. You can also bring in texture boxes if you just want something besides carpet and linoleum and wood underfoot if you want things that are lumpy and bumpy you know maybe maybe don't go out for a huge walk but maybe just go out for 10 minutes so shorter durations and if you can gather if you are close to a park or you know someplace that's green where you can gather pine cones or pine needles and things that are soft and and bring them in and that's what I would recommend is just to to scale everything back to what's doable so maybe it's not like zero in the house on the couch and full Monty, you know, running through the trees or the forest outside. And when you can't get to that full Monty feeling like you can't do anything, just find one little thing. Maybe crack your windows open a little bit so you're not in the full cold that brings on a cough, but you're not kind of in an overly indoor scenario, too, where sometimes, you know, the coughing can be brought upon just by the contrast of the two. If you're going from like hot inside 
to cold outside, that's a lot of adjustment that your body has to make very quickly. One of the reasons we keep our house cool and sometimes just open the door on a freezing winter day. And no, I don't live in Minnesota, so my West Coast freezing is different. But it can be 30 degrees outside and, you know, we'll still kind of do a big opening and and cooling off so that we can kind of uh, not require so much adjustment or transition where inside and outside feels less of a, a firm line. So good luck with that. And spring should be here pretty soon. So thank you to the Dynamic Collective. That is that group of companies that is sponsoring in part these questions and answering that I'm doing on Move Your DNA. And these companies are Earthrunner, Unshoes, Venn Design, maker of beautiful dynamic living space decor, My Mayu Outdoor Boots for Kids, and Soft Star Shoes. These are shoes made by elves, people. For more information on these companies, go to the show notes, click listen, click podcast transcripts, and you'll find them linked at the top of the notes. So who is ready to get nature schooled? Today, I am talking with two Sarahs, Sarah Salazar-Tipton and Sarah Greenwald. Sarah Salazar-Tipton is the founding executive director of Olympic Nature Experience and a lead teacher at Owls Hollow Early Learning and Adventure Club. She has a bachelor's in marine and environmental sciences from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. She is passionate about connecting people to nature because she knows its rejuvenating and inspiring effects in her own life. Sarah Greenwald is a teacher at Owls Hollow. She has many years of experience in informal outdoor education along with a master's degree in environmental education and a forest kindergarten teaching certificate. I want to know about where we can get one of those. So without further ado... Welcome, Sarah and Sarah, to Move Your DNA podcast. And I'm going to have you each introduce yourself so that everyone can get a sense of your voice. You want to do that? Yeah. Who wants to go first? (laughs) I'm Sarah Salazar-Tipton. The director? The director of Olympic Nature Experience and a mother of three kids. (laughs) Which should really be in the opposite order. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I... I'm trying to reclaim my identity besides <laughs> just mother. I'm just Sarah. <laughs> How about just being Sarah? Yeah. And then Sarah? I'm Sarah Greenwald, and I am the administrative director and a teacher at Olympic Nature Experience. And I just want to say to everyone listening that we are actually together versus usually when I do a podcast, I'm interviewing someone who's far away. So this is the already the more natural version of like a face, an actual face-to-face interaction we are hanging out together in the offices of Olympic Nature Experience that shares offices with us. So if the conversation sounds a little bit different, that's why. So before we get started, or maybe to start, Sarah Salazar-Tipton is going to talk just a second about gratitude mm-hmm. and the, where that sits. So for our Nature School, gratitude is one of our founding principles. And I would say that came in from some of the training and the mentorship that we received. And so every time we meet together, whether it's a staff meeting or when we start our day, we, we have a process that we, um, we do where we speak out loud our gratitude and our intention for the day. So we're going to start our podcast with that today. And I'll go ahead and start. And um, I'm really grateful for water and warm water and delicious water and water that I use to clean things. One of my children was sick last night, so I was so grateful for running water and its abundance and all the temperatures and taking a shower. So 
Water is a really powerful source in my life, and I do a lot of chores with it. So I'm really grateful for water, for safety, and for the opportunity to sit down and talk about something that I'm really passionate about. And my intention today is to enjoy our time together and to speak from what I know well and not delve too far out of my real real strong sphere of experience. <laughs> Um, I am so grateful for the signs of spring and all of the birds I'm seeing this morning. I was watching them all eat the worms out of the grass and they just look so happy and I'm so excited for sunshine coming our way. And like the kids say, I'm grateful for the whole universe <laughs> and everything in it. And my intention is to have a really exciting conversation about nature schools and our community. And I am grateful for the ability to walk here. I walked carrying my giant, awkward <laughs> microphone that broke yesterday and the rain that I got to walk in, just enjoying that sprinkle and, and also for the birds, for the birds and for the, for the drivers out there who are paying attention to the walkers out there. I really appreciate that extra six feet that you go out of your way to give me as you pass by. And my intention today is, as always, to use elements. I mean, the, I, I want to go back to gratitude for a second. Gratitude that the microphone and the computer and the Internet are two things that are fashioned from nature that are allowing us to share this conversation with you. And that my intention is that you walk away with some easy ways to incorporate more nature education into your life and feel inspired to do so. So look at that. We've already done like that. You already have a takeaway. Just add a bit of gratitude, you know, and, and you're gratitude on your way to change everything. Exactly. Okay. So I guess before we go too far into the interview, there's a lot of terminology around various elements of nature education. So I made a list of some of them. There's forest school, nature school, nature kindergarten, forest kindergarten, coyote mentoring. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other terms that you might? Those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Especially when you're talking about schools, there can be a lot of distinction between nature immersion, emergent curriculum. So these are different methods that people use in the actual ways of teaching. Coyote mentoring is one that we use as well. And then there's, you know, the kind of some of the big names that people know out there. Montessori, Waldorf is a big one. They use a lot of nature in their curriculum. So, and then there's like, oh, uh, Reggio Emilia. So these are, you know, especially in the preschool and early childhood education models. A lot of these things come together and synthesize at certain points too. Mm -hmm. And they kind of create you know, every nature school has its own unique kind of combination of these things. So let's talk about some of those definitions. But before we even go there, I'd like to open up our minds to the idea that nature is everywhere all the time. Just like you said, we're using a microphone, we're using computers, we're using showers. But all of these things come from nature. And I think that one of the fundamentals of nature education, as far as my experience goes, is reminding us that we are part of nature and sometimes we have to go outside and immerse ourselves in a forest or a pond or 
a beach. Um, and that is the gift is so that we can remember that we are part of nature and, and come back to feeling at home in ourselves and in nature. However, um, once we get that kind of switch turned back on in our bodies, which is why it's so helpful to do this at such a young age, because children's belief formation is really malleable at this point. They are literally developing their beliefs every day. And so that's why um, nature education at such a young age can be, you know, life changing in some ways. Um, so I guess I just want to remind us that that malleability of our beliefs is available to us all the time. And going out into nature, into the forest and things like that can be a way to help us turn that switch back on. We are part of nature Everywhere we go is nature, even when we're in the jetliner, you know, <laughs> 50,000 feet above the actual, you know, firm ground. However, we can also access nature through our beliefs, through our ideas. And honestly, in my experience, through gratitude, even in the jetliner, even if you don't spend a ton of time in the forest or you live in a city and it's hard to get to a place that seems like a natural, quote unquote, environment you can still access nature when you drink water. You're drinking a river. It's like a tiny stream, the way I think of it, you know, or a tiny pond. And we are almost as modern people have water within, you know, we're extremely lucky. We have water within easy reach or easy walk most of the time. So I think that's the first thing is like reminding us that nature is everywhere all the time. And I'll be talking a lot about that today. So then when we go into, okay, now how do we, educate children in that belief and there's nature schools which are kind of any any form of a traditional school that uses curriculum that's heavily based on nature to um you know and they they meet in a building and maybe they take excursions outside or maybe they have a percentage of their time that's spent outdoors or mm -hmm. indoors we belong to a regional association and we're creating a definition of what we mean by nature schools and our state is piloting a program and it is also defining what nature school means. And it's like for us, it's about 50 percent in uh, outdoor time, at least, and a, um, a strong environmental education component. So those are some pieces. Nature school, forest school often means that only maybe a little bit more time outside mm -hmm. or often can even mean no building at, at all. Nature kindergarten or forest kindergarten also means that often forest kindergarten means zero building, totally outdoor, um, which is what we operate. We operate a totally outdoor program. What are some of the other ones that we were talking about? Coyote mentoring. Okay. So, okay. So now we're kind of, I just have gone over kind of the types of schools, right? There's nature school, there's forest school, there's um, forest kindergarten, and then those might be looking at it as a structure uh, or maybe the overhead of the overhead's not the right word. I'm thinking like academic, like where you get what we think of as school stuff. And I say that different as a difference compared to like bushcraft mm. school for some people oh, like right. nature school means where I would go on a weekend to learn bushcraft yes. skills. And it is a school in that sense, meaning I'm learning something, but I think the programs that, we'll talk about today for the most part and the ones that you are operating are oftentimes instead of going to one type of school you go to this type of school for children right so and actually i think what would be clarifying is 
what I was just describing, those are formats. That's the word Format. I was looking. Got it. So when we're talking nature school, forced kindergarten, and, um, you know, uh, forest school, we're talking what is the format of the school. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of what yeah. you're touching on. Like, I go to a building, I go to not a building, I go to this beach, whatever the format is. And then now we'll talk about curriculum models. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mentioned a few early childhood education curriculum models that we're familiar with often is Montessori, Reggio Emilia, Waldorf. Those are well-known curriculum models. There's also the forced kindergarten curriculum model. um, And that relies heavily on nature immersion, which means you go out and you're just surrounded by nature. This could be, this can literally be like a um, a lot in the middle of a city or a public park, or it could be a forest or a pond somewhere that you go to. And then there's emergent curriculum, which is you go out and you allow whatever comes up, the nature immersion, to be what you study. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, you know, you're walking along on the trail and you see worms and everyone stops and you explore worms. And then maybe you have tools on hand to help you explore worms more, like magnifying glasses or. Um, you know, you might create a little terrarium for one and carry it around with you for the day, or maybe you sit still and you observe it, or there's, you know, a bunch of different tools. So there's, um, that's emergent curriculum. You allow whatever comes up to be the curriculum. To emerge. To emerge, exactly. And then we use a method passed down from Wilderness Awareness School called Coyote Mentoring. And it's a, it's a way of, and you can speak to this too, please do. Sure. It's a way of using emergent curriculum as well as a planned curriculum to really deepen nature connection, Mm -hmm. nature connection. So to get you to become really engaged and understand and feel like you belong and understand that there's a relationship between you and the worm that you find. It's not just about like, oh, pretty worm, let's put it in a box and and have an ownership over Mm -hmm, it in my Um, understanding and interpretation of coyote mentoring and nature connection through wilderness awareness schools model. It's more about, Oh, this worm is a being and we can respect it for its own life, which might last only a few months long or two days, depending on if the Robin comes (laughs) and we, you know, we can see a reciprocal relationship. And so that is the kind of part of what I consider to be deep nature connection. And so Coyote mentoring is one method. There are many, many, and there are tons of ways to do that. Um, Emerging curriculum is one. Structured curriculum is another. There's tons of ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Coyote mentoring is a way to synthesize a kind of a structured format with emergent curriculum so that you can really deepen the experience. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that the coyote is the trickster, right? And so it's kind of like the kids don't even know they're learning. They're so engaged in wonder and curiosity about whatever you're finding. And you have all these tools you can pull out to engage them in that worm. And they don't even know half the time that they're learning something new. And I think that is like (laughs) one of the most wonderful, beautiful things is Mm -hmm. they're just so engaged and curious and state of awe and wonder. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting to that. I interviewed my kids about nature school (laughs) and... One of, you know, I think a lot of parents, you know, what did you do today when you pick them up from school or what did you learn today? And it's always nothing. But my son went on to explain that he's like actually learning less now. Like his perception is he used to learn more. And I think it's because there was maybe more of 
a, a one type of curriculum. And as he's been in the program longer, his perception is he's learning less because all he's doing all day long is playing and just being, but he'll constantly be rattling off like all these things that, you know, like fat, what I would consider to be facts or things that he's picked up or understandings that he has, but his perception is he's not learning because he associates learning with sitting down to memorize or be tested. You know what I mean? And I just thought, I was like, yeah, right on. Um, Okay. So just, I'm just trying to think of like more clarification. So it's these terms. And you know what I think is important is these terms are not super important. If you're not going to go out and start your own program from scratch, if you are going to go start your program from scratch, all you have to do is put these, let them be a touchstone once Right. And you will find everything you need along the way. You know, um, in the show notes, we're going to link to a bunch of the... <laughs> so many resources. <laughs> There's, yes. So there will be the... We're putting on there some of the regional national players in the United States. I apologize for international people. I don't... We don't have as many... I don't have as much knowledge about the resources out there internationally, but there are some. There are definitely quite a few. So, um, you know, I think that... We don't have to get too worried about it. We won't be talking about them a ton. But what I think the important thing is understanding that just like any model or idea, there are a lot of variations. There's a lot of shades to anything. So there are different ways to educate in nature. Some some education models in nature schools are very skills-based and very tangible. And some are more what we call soft skills, you know really delving into the connection side or the um, natural history. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So there can be so many different formats. I remember hearing um, one of your podcasts where you talked about nature school and with Danny and um, you know, I think even between the two of you, there was experience of multiple nature schools. And so they're very different and they're each evolving as well, depending on the teachers, the skill sets, the history, the culture, the resources available, the trainings that you're including, just like anything. So I think when we're talking about nature schools, what we have to understand is you cannot paint them with one brush stroke. They come in very various palettes. And um, if it works for you, awesome. And if not, you don't need a nature school to connect with nature because it's everywhere. (laughs) What we want actually is to help ourselves figure out how to turn on that belief that we are a part of nature all the time, everywhere. Well, and I think to the word nature, that's sometimes confused with wilderness, yes. you know, right? So I, I try to use the word green space because you can find a green space on a roof in Portland. You can you, find nature in the McDonald's parking lot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I think so. I, I think that some people listening to this will be thinking of like starting something, but probably a much larger percentage is like, I want this for people that I know. And then there's a, a maybe even a broader group of like, I don't have anyone to put into this, but I'm going to put my energy towards the idea that, yes, this is something that the world can benefit from and maybe are just figuring, applying it to community gardens or or anything else. So, so the term nature shouldn't be scary. It's not necessarily something that you can transpose with bushcraft or, you know, survival skills. We are simply talking about a space whether it's a physical space or a psychological space for considering the idea that you are nature, we are nature, Mm -hmm. which might be the first step. And we feel better when we think we're, when we understand that, you know, when you, I mean, I think that's where gratitude can come in so powerfully is when you can remember that 
actually you wake up every day and there's water somewhere near you and you have <laughs> access to it and you know there are resources available to you like food and connection and all of these things are made available because the earth is spinning with consistency mm-hmm. for millions of years depending yeah. on your belief system and you know so like nature is already you know almost when you start to think about the magnitude of the earth and the systems and the biology and all of it um you almost kind of get you can almost allow yourself to be like whoa that's crazy this has been going on for our whole lives and i and i keep forgetting because i live in the middle of the city and i like walk along the city streets and i take a bus and i forget that like i'm actually part of the rotating earth yeah. system you know it's like so nature I know. <laughs> right i find it relaxing it's like oh mate, like this is just going on and i'm just, just here i'm like just an ant and it's fine and guess yeah. what i'm part of this beautiful thing yeah. okay so let's talk a little bit about olympic nature experience which is <laughs> i would call it more an organization than a school because it embodies or it includes many different programs so there were nature schools that we were talking about but then there's also these smaller commitment, smaller time frame programs like Adventure Club. Mm-hmm. So if you were to quickly break down maybe the arms, mm-hmm. the limbs of Olympic Nature Experience, what would they be? Sure. So we do an early childhood education program, which is our nature preschool or forest kindergarten program. And we call that Owls Hollow Early Learning. And we meet the needs of three to six year olds right now. Uh, And then after that, we found that some of our kids wanted to stay with us and they weren't ready to leave. And so we started introducing um, homeschool enrichment classes, we're calling them. Um, And those are for, we have a kindergarten age class and then like a first through third grade age class. And um, those are just to deepen and enhance the skills and to enrich whatever you're doing at home if you're homeschooling. Or some kids we've even had who come from one day of public school. They take the day off public school and they spend the day outside with us. And that is really neat. And then what Katie was talking about is Adventure Club, which is our family um, playgroup drop-in program. And parents come with their kids. Uh, It's happening this morning for the first time this season. I'm really excited to hear how it goes. And they stop in. um, We meet in front of our local Audubon Center. And then we go for, we put on our creature powers. We go for a hike. We have a snack. We tell a story. And um, parents and their kids are with a trained um, naturalist and mentor who can give them the tools they need to spend time outside with their kids if that's something that is either not comfortable or something that's comfortable and they just want a community of people to do it with them would you add any other arms to our um and then we do some camps yeah and for this this year we're kind of trying to focus on having um, camps that run a little bit more accessible to public school kids so that um, when they have um, like a holiday from school, then their parents can have um, some nature school child care options or just an opportunity for them who, um, you know, might not be able to come to our enrichment programs all year can come at small points throughout the year um, as well as during the summer. So we do camps as well. Okay, so let's talk about a typical day. I mean, I'm laughing at the word typical, but let's say a typical day of uh, forest kindergarten. What does that look like? So they arrive and we have a curriculum, you know, mapped out. And um, as one of our teachers said, and I love this line, there's what you plan and then there's what is. <laughs> so, you know, they arrive, there's a first half an hour, we call it inspiration time. So there's an activity out, there's a game that we have that we're kind of thinking about running. Um, and then there's also free play and 
almost anything else you want to do. So, for example, this week we were learning about the letter P, and so we brought in um, plants and we dissected the plants and they're laying out with roots and there's mud on them and you know maybe we are like pulling apart the leaves and we had a, I had a bunch of beans that needed to be shucked and so they were shucking the beans and sorting them and that kind of thing and then um but then maybe they're quickly tired of that because they're preschoolers and so then they want to take the leaves and they want to like put them on as a hat and run around and play a different game and they make that up so that's allowed too that's part of the nature immersion and the creation of their fostering their imagination and then you know we'll have a game so we were playing a different game and then so that goes on for about a half an hour then we have a circle we meet we make agreements. That's how we do a lot of our safety in our school is by creating agreements with the children instead of creating rules. And then we'll discuss whatever we need to as a community. Maybe some of the children want to share something. And then we will go out on a hike and we'll hike anywhere from like 10 minutes to 30 minutes, depending on how far they, you know, depending on the time of year, how much they need to move to stay warm and comfortable, their age range, how experienced they are hiking where we are in the school year. At the beginning of the school year, we only hike a little bit because we have children who are getting used to carrying their own backpack and hiking in a group. That might be scary or challenging. And then at the end of the year, it's like you can go so far because they're just ready. They know how. Also, their parents know how to pack the bag a little bit more efficiently, maybe. So we hike and we often do natural history studies along the way. We saw a newt. So we're talking about a newt and we're observing the newt and whatever. We might pull out some tools to explore. We might just sit there and observe or maybe we're not interested. So we move right past the newt, you know. Um, then we go to a place and then we have a snack or a substantial snack. We, it's a lunch pretty much. And we have lunch and we talk and we again, we share gratitude before we do that. And, and also at our circle in the morning, we have a song that we sing that is about gratitude and kind of saying hello to everything. So then we practice gratitude. We have a snack. There's also a lot of opportunity to discuss things as a community, make observations. The kids love whoever has apples, raise your hand. You know, they love this kind of exploring together. And then, then we have what we call wonder time. So that lasts for about an hour and a half. And so we have stations out and then again, free time and nature immersion is what we're doing. So, um, you know, we have fine motor, gross motor, um, activities out. We have maybe a writing activity out. We might have a science activity out. And these things are all extremely efficient because our teachers carry everything on their backpacks. Mm -hmm. So one of our gross motor that we've been doing for months now because they're just enamored with it is Mud Kitchen. So it's just a bag with stackable um, aluminum containers and maybe a couple dinosaurs in there and we put it out and then they just, they dig or they find grass and they make a bath for the dinosaurs or whatever it is. All they need is just a tiny manipulative to get them totally immersed Mm -hmm. and you know, then maybe we just have some beads out with some um, cord and they can string beads on cord for a fine motor skill. And then, you know, maybe we have some papers out that are a plant and they get to paint on it and learn about the different pieces of the plant. So everything is very efficient. It fits into our bags. We bring some books with us and then we're just helping them engage in nature for an hour and a half doing what they want as they're called to do it um, and then deepening the learning. So you know, this is where the coyote mentoring is really valuable. So they want to play with the dinosaurs and the dinosaur might be trying to kill the plants, like because they're just young and they're, you know, exploring. And so they're, they're trying to root up this plant. Well, that's an opportunity for us to go over there and talk to the dinosaur and tell the dinosaur that these plants are what dinosaurs eat. And what are these pieces that you're pulling up? Oh, those are the roots. Oh, and so it's, 
really engaging with a lot of questions and a lot of curiosity. And through that, we're able to deepen their learning more and more and, and give each child an individualized learning experience. Mm-hmm. So if one child really wants to, we've had this before, um, only learn about planes because they love planes. <laughs> so we're not going to try to say, well, you need to learn the parts of the root, I mean, the parts of the plant. Instead, we say, oh, well, we need some leaves so we can make an airplane. And then, you know, so through their own passion, their child passions, um, we're able to access what it is that we want to try to expose them to and get them excited about it. Now they're learning about, you know, leaves and stems and roots of a plant because now we're making, we need the roots to tie the sticks together, the stems together so that we can make an airplane or whatever. So there's an hour and a half of wonder time and we're doing, you know, this kind of, um, it's like a tension back and forth between following them and then kind of invisibly leading them. And then after that, we hike back. Oh, we have forest music. So we'll sing some songs, make some music with whatever nature objects that we can find, rattle some stick, some stones in your hand or mm-hmm. hit some sticks together. And then we'll return, um, return hike. And then we have a story collecting at the end of the day where everyone gets to talk about their experience for the day, which is really an important part of gathering in nature together is to collect the stories because that's where a lot of the children will learn, process their learning, reinforce their learning, and also re-engage with the passion and the wonder that they had. And then we have pickup. So that's the, is that the best mm-hmm. part of the day? <laughs> it's the most relaxing. Sometimes it's actually the most relaxing. Yeah, well, you have a bunch of adults like ruining your flow. Every, every exactly. Reason, yeah. yeah. So you guys are moving a lot clearly as instructors. This is a podcast mm-hmm. where... We are like thinking about movement and the ways that humans move. So, Sarah G, mm-hmm. you were trying to think of some of the movements yeah. that I mean, there's probably not that many movements that the kids do that you don't also do, at least in some way. Maybe not the yeah, that's true. The duration of them. So, what are they? Yeah. Um, I br- I just quickly brainstorm. We walk on uneven surfaces. We're all carrying our backpacks or heavy loads. Sarah's talking about those buckets. Sometimes they fill them up with mud and water, and they're like these little heavy things that they're carrying around with them. Um, they're hiking on the trails. They're climbing trees. They're navigating obstacles. A lot of times we're going through like big, tall brush, yeah. and like um, that's challenge for a lot of kids and over and under logs over with a backpack too. yes so like, yeah, I take my backpack, backpack off is or? definitely yeah. the other day we we're playing a game on the trail and you run off and hide in the bushes and there's just backpacks littered on the trail because they're like we can't take these in right. the bushes <laughs> i'm not gonna lose hungry bear because of this backpack <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. um let's see what else do they have navigating their layers of clothing mm. in the winter i was thinking about like temperature regulation the other day it was sunny and beautiful and they all took off all their layers and i looked at sarah and i was like they're gonna have to put all those back on <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> um and then digging uh, construction projects, balancing on logs. It was um, snowy a few weeks ago, and they were, like, climbing up this log that was on an angle. And it was really slippery, and they were managing and balancing and helping each other. Mm. So those are some of the movements that came to my mind right away that we do. And lots of up and down, up and down, yes. up and down. That's what I noticed all day long, <laughs> up and down, up and down. Yes. Um, 
even in our office, which you all will be very happy to know is largely furniture free. Um, so I'm always noticing down on the computer, or, you know, sit on the desk and then I go walk across the yeah. room to go get the office supplies and mm-hmm. walk across the other side of the room to go get. So it's like that in nature school, up and down, up and down. So I can hear people's minds like listening to this. And and we got a lot of emails when I put out a question about, you know, what do you want to know about nature school? And there was a lot of people who are like, I... I've been, they are looking themselves for a connection to nature. I think so much of this came up around children with Richard Louv's book, mm-hmm. A Child in Nature, this idea of vitamin nature being so important for kids, but it's, it's, it's important for mm-hmm. all human beings, mm-hmm. for, for, for all earthlings. And there were a lot of grownups <laughs> who were interested in, in changing their path to lead something like seeing that this is a hole in their community and that they have a passion for it and desire, but they themselves are not quote woodsy or so I wanted to neither am I right, 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 right. I wanted to break down the idea that you too, while you are excellent teachers and, and, and leaders of your nature program, aren't, you know, you're not like, Mick Dodge coming fresh from the woods. You don't scan. You're like you're not fairies. No, you you wear like shoes. You dra- you have cars. Like exactly. So <laughs> so you're talking um, about like starting fires with your teeth and 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 like <laughs> this like joke that like hey like how are you at fire starting? Like are you some are you a guru? Are you like a nature guru whiz? Yes, I'm excellent when there is um, dry. <laughs> Dry weather, hot outside. Right. My wood is warm and chopped, and I have all the tools like a hatchet and a knife and a fire and a lighter and fire and starter and, and newspaper and, and a massage. <laughs> exactly. No little children around. So I, yes, I can appreciate that it is intimidating and that we can have these ideas that um, you have to embody a certain skill before you can A, either go out and practice it or even do it safely. I think that's a big thing for people is, um, can I want to do this, but I don't know where the safety margins are. So that can be very intimidating. And also, um, who am I to go out and try this thing? Like people are going to see I'm a poser. You know, if you've ever had those thoughts, rest assured other people have had those thoughts too, including myself. So, I heard, and I did read the questions on one of your Instagram people saying, how do I start this? Mm -hmm. Where do I, what are my first steps? And so here's some steps that will be helpful. First, you want to um, really enjoy your connection with nature, whether it's a tiny, tiny little seed that you're planting right now and just going outside and noticing where the trees are, how many trees are on your block walk it once a week. You know, you're probably already walking some amount of the time if you're listening to this podcast. So notice where the trees are. Notice where the nature is that you aren't already noticing. When you're driving on your car, just start to notice, are there birds on the wires? Are there birds on the side of the road? You know, are there, this might be weird, but like, are there dead animal carcasses on the side of the road? A lot of us aren't even registering that. So the first thing is to just notice if that is where you are, just start to notice. If you are already a naturalist, you're used to noticing. Um, if you want to deepen your nature connection, a program that I really found valuable through Wilderness Awareness School is the Kamana Naturalist Training Course. And it's a self-led naturalist training course, and they teach you how to notice. Mm-hmm. 
and they teach you how to begin to learn how to be safe out in the woods. Um, and it's all online, right? It is a book that you send away for. So it's actually, you do it and then you can send it away and you get a certificate. Mm. Um, and I found it really valuable. What it does is it starts to tune you into your senses. It starts to turn on in you that belief that, or that knowing I am part of nature. Nature is everywhere. Even if I live in a city, they even give you tips for like, if you live in a city, you can still find nature. I was, um, I live in the country. It's very quiet. I really appreciate quiet. I went to the city for a conference over the summer and I was staying in a hostel right in the international district. So it was very loud, extremely loud, very busy. I'm staying in this little tiny room. The only way out of the building is like through the fire escape or the, you know, elevator <laughs> thing. And it was a kind of intense for me. And also it's the summer. So it's just a nice place to like hang out and be quiet. So I sat on the fire escape and I was doing my sit spot time, essentially, you know, just looking at the tops of the trees and the, um, the doves and the pigeons that were flying around over the buildings and watching the, the sky, you know, and it's loud and there's people everywhere. And it, but there was still so much nature to be had in the middle of the city, in the middle of this crowded place where, you know, there's a lot of, um, people who are hurting and, you know, there's a lot of homeless and drugs and things like that, you know, and, and you can see sometimes, sometimes we have to break out of our box of what nature is to be able to access it. So, you know, noticing is one thing. If you want to get into, you know, really practicing your skills of noticing, Kamana is a good resource or any kind of place where you can go and start to learn about the birds. Birds are an excellent resource into learning about nature because they speak a lot and they, they're everywhere, even in the city. And there's so much to learn from them. So just you know, going to a nature center and taking a birding class or looking online about birds or, you know, so there's so many resources there. Then if you want to take it a step further and you want to start something, whether you're a homeschool parent and you want to bring more nature connection into your child's life, whether you, um, you know, are taking care of elders or somebody and you want to help them connect with nature or you want to start a program because you just think this is a need in your community or it's a calling for you. Um, basically you get comfortable with your relationship with nature, get very, very curious about everything you're seeing all the time. Mm -hmm. There's a worm. Where is it going? Why is it doing that? Oh, is this the time of year for worms? Just asking questions constantly and then just start somewhere. You know, for me, I started adventure club six years ago or seven, six or seven years ago now because I wanted to start a nature school and I didn't know how. So I just started this little walk-in play group and it, it's really shifted formats over the years to figure out what would work for me, what would work for our community, what did people want to attend. I spent a lot of time showing up and nobody was coming. Um, so it was really a slog for in some ways, but it was also such a joy in other ways because I'd bring my kids and we would play <laughs> and I would meet other families. And, you know, many years later, that program is still going. And so, you know, start something and there's resources out there. The Hike It Baby is a place where families get together and they hike together. Um, there's like Tinker Garden. There's just there's different places out there where people group together and meet and do that kind of thing. Play with young children outside or start something. You know, there's just start a play group or a meetup or, a, you know, something on Facebook or social media or something like that. So you could just start on the show link. On the bio, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. The link, the notes. Show notes. Show notes, thanks. 
um, we listed some regional players that we know of in the United States. So if you're interested in really getting something started more significantly, you know, check out the Natural Start Alliance, the Children in Nature Network, some of these regional players, um, Eastern Region of Forest and Nature Schools, um, David Sobal and Antioch University on the east on the west coast. Um, there's the Washington Nature Preschool Association, the Illinois Northern Illinois Nature Preschool Association. So there's these these are the big players that I know of in the United States of places that you know support nature schools regionally and train nature schools regionally. Wilderness Awareness School and Cedar Song Nature School also train teachers. So those are all in the show notes. Those are just, again, names to put in the back of your head if you're interested in starting something more significantly. I would just add that I like to remember that I'm not the expert and I don't need to be the expert. One of my favorite things to say to the kids is, I don't know the answer to that. That is a really good question. Let's look it up together. Because then you're teaching them the skills to be able to find the answers to their questions. Um, They're critically thinking. They're engaged in science using a field guide if that's the type of question that they're asking and you get to find out the answer together and you get to engage in being curious together you're not the expert and you don't need to be the expert you can find the answers with them you're going to school too yeah Mm -hmm. you're going to school and one of the the last piece to that too is um get curious and allow yourself wonder Mm -hmm. you know that is like whoa the flower is blooming can i pause and be in wonder with that that is such a touchstone for i think nature education Well, I just, I feel like we've lost a lot of wonder because of the magic Google box that we all have in our hand. Like anytime you want to know anything, you just are so quick to look it up, to be told what it is. Like there's no speculation. There's no time of like, maybe it's this or that. Like you, so I, it's been fun. I've written before about sometimes putting away guides or digital lookup pieces when you're out there just to have the phase of you know, what is it? And that goes for nature and also movies and songs from the nineties that you can't recall. Just just let yourself wonder, let yourself wonder about what the lyrics were and who sang it and what movie it was from. Because I feel like my brain is like losing its ability to, to search Mm -hmm. and create because Mm -hmm. all of the answers are always given to me by someone else. Like I don't, and that's actually part of the, um, that's that's exactly at the heart of the type of teaching we do because mm-hmm. when a child says, "What kind of tree is that?" and you say, "Oh, that's a cedar tree," they stop being curious. They mm. think they have the answer, and that's the end of it. But we don't know a million things about that cedar tree. We might know a lot about right. cedar trees, but we don't know what that cedar tree is doing. Right. Yeah. And this moment is it drinking more water now than it was in the summer? Is it drinking less? How much air? I mean, how much water is it? You know, giving off. Um, how much, you know, is it, how many mycorrhizal connections does it have to all the trees around it? You know, like what are, uh, what kinds of roots does it have? And can we use those for anything? There's a million questions to ask. And when we start to realize how little we know, we can be not only in the sense of, I wonder, but in awe, right. That sense of wonder as well. And so, um, there is so much that's gained by, being curious and also knowing that we don't have the answers. We don't have to have the right. answers. That gigantic earth ball is still holding us with all the <laughs> things going on, right? I'm on the bus and on the ball at the same time. Well, and to that point too, I'm and our personal family, we're really trying to watch, you know, classification systems like being from a really traditional biological mm-hmm. mindset, really trying to 
go, well, some people would call that a cedar, but even if you're going to add like, but it isn't a cedar. Mm -hmm. That's a name for it. You know, here's, here's five names for it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that's really important in these times where we're really trying to understand inclusivity and Mm -hmm. diversity to recognize different, but equal perspectives Mm -hmm. on things. You could consider it part of Social science, I, I consider it part of really great biological science is to recognize the various classification systems, which leads me to another question, which is like, what are some considerations around accessibility mm-hmm. and inclusivity, diversity with nature education? Are there hurdles that you are jumping or thinking about? What can you weigh in on that? The Natural Start Alliance just did a national survey of nature preschools um, in the United States. And they found that we are mostly serving white kids. Um, and most of those kids can access nature in some way other than nature school. Mm-hmm. Nature school doesn't need to be their primary avenue to um, access being outside. And so at our organization, we started talking a lot about what barriers we can reduce in order to be more inclusive of all kinds of people and kids who want to do our programs. Mm-hmm. And it is a big conversation in the movement, the nature school movement and, so, and the natural start Alliance did a national conference over the summer in August. And the topic was inclusivity, diversity, and equity. And they did a really nice job of bringing in various perspectives and helping, you know, I'll speak for myself, helping me understand the different types of diversity and the different types of inclusivity and some of the barriers. A lot of the times you create a barrier because you don't know. You create a you know structure that works for you, but you don't realize that it doesn't work for other people. So you're, you know, inadvertently creating a barrier for some people. So understanding that 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 is happening and being open to the idea of seeing it from other perspectives is really valuable. Um, So it is part of the conversation. Right now, we are working with the Department of Early Learning in Washington State on a pilot program to license outdoor preschools and nature preschools. And there is a big conversation, and some of the the team, um, some of the other nature schools are really doing an awesome job of continuing to advocate for diversity, inclusivity, you know, recognizing that if we make these considerations or set up this structure, then we are, you know really limiting the ability of some people to of economic means or of you know social like social structures or um culture and heritage and ethnicity they're not going to find it as accessible and so Mm -hmm. how do we lower those barriers how do we constantly take them into consideration it's a challenge for us extremely challenging we have to of our primary concern at all times is safety we're operating in public parks in woods (laughs) heavily wooded areas where there is in one of our parks, literally there is a cliff, not super close, but there's a cliff that leads down to the ocean. (laughs) And then there's like roads (laughs) and, you know, people that are out in this public parks. And so having a child run away is extremely dangerous. Now, you know, there's all kinds of ways to consider that. And there's all kinds of things that we do to set safety and protective measures and things like that. But it's very challenging for us to accept a child that can't stay with the group to a certain degree. And we have all the kinds of ways that we work with children to make sure that they can. So we don't have to have children that are super excellent at following directions and staying with the group, but we do have to have children that 
are going to not consistently run away from the group either. You know, there's this, and, and so it's challenging because sometimes we'll have a child that isn't ready for that. And, or if we have a child that has some special needs, maybe we can't accommodate it because we're running, um, at such a lean ratio and there is, there's just so many things to consider. So it is a question we're asking ourselves. It's something we're working towards. There's a couple things that that brought up for me. One, I followed the com- that conference, mm-hmm. had an excellent Twitter feed. Oh, really? So you can search the hashtag. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes. And you can see people quoting takeaways of various oh. presentations, as well as if you go back to the lineup mm-hmm. of who was speaking, mm-hmm. you can connect with them and their work, which is much bigger than you know, the 30-minute presentation yeah. that they did. Sometimes there's entire books on I love that word barriers. Like someone has thought a lot about a single barrier. That's usually what it is. There's an expert in various barriers and that you just have to kind of cultivate an exposure to many different people who've thought deeply about many different aspects and then glean what you can and what you can change right away. Mm -hmm. The other thing was, and I just put this out if you get my newsletter, schools aren't the only thing going nature. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see therapists go nature. So there's new occupational therapy that's offering therapy in nature. And so I think sometimes we put it all on the school to provide the sole source of nature. But one of the ways that I think that if trying to figure out how, how can I get more nature when the school isn't prepared to handle everyone all of the time is to look for other avenues, like maybe just as parents, adding a little bit more exposure to nature. So we're not dropping off someone at school who's had no previous exposure to nature. But also if someone's getting therapy, I've seen speech language, Mm -hmm. OT at PT now in parks with small groups. So it's almost like they're seeing as more as understood about how things work, how therapy works, how movement works, and that nature provides all these kind of, well, natural environment for these things to happen. I think that the benefit is not only are they getting therapy, we're also getting exposure to nature. So I, I don't think it's going to have to be only schools. Eventually, I, I'll see this vitamin nature stuff happening in other elements of our day. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. Okay, my kids go to your school. I learn a lot from them all of the time. So I would, I'm constantly being educated. So it's outside of their education that I think is benefiting from the school. What other sort of benefits do you do you see coming from children who've deepened their relationship or their understanding of nature? Have you seen it trickle into any other? You're asking like elements how does it affect people's lives outside yeah, of yeah, the school. Yeah, uh, yeah, outside of that that the child is now getting this thing that they need, you know, like mm. I have found yes, it's what they need, but I I'm in being enriched for their enrichment. <laughs> and it, it, the trickle, I guess trickle down or trickle up out is that then I'm more motivated mm. to bring more people in the community to it. I want to make it more accessible. And so I'm motivated to do that because I'm like, this is so much more than vitamin N for a kid and their brain and their muscles. Like to me, it's a salve on the planet, on this giant ball I'm swirling around on. So like, what are some other? One of the things I think about nature education is it's so contextual. So you know, yes, we're learning about plants and the letter P, but what we're really learning about is how do we 
create more resiliency in our bodies? How do I stay comfortable when the weather is changing? How do I stay comfortable when I am intimidated by this log that I have to climb over? How do I find comfort and soothe or bring in emotional regulation tools? There's so much learning that's happening in nature. Not that that's not happening elsewhere as well, but there are so many variables that are outside of your control, teacher's control (laughs) and children's control. And so there's this constant practicing of resiliency, as well as then critical thinking, responding, you know, curiosity, as we talked about wonder and awe, all of these things, in my opinion, and in my experience, develop a love for learning, create critical thinking, problem solving, resiliency, you know, emotional, yeah, resiliency is the word, you know, ability to respond creatively to things. Um, And I think that children take that with them. And so then when they go into, and there's a lot of studies out there that talk about that, not only that, but nature itself is soothing to the regulatory system. And so they go outside and it's been, I mean, anybody who, especially people who live in the East Coast, you know, it's, you're inside in the winter and you're getting a little stagnant and, and, but it's like, oh, it's so nasty out. It's cold. It's wet, whatever the (laughs) experience might be. Um, and you go outside, maybe it's even just to get in your car or maybe it's to go for a 10 minute walk, or maybe it's to go outside for a 40 minute walk or two hours or whatever. And maybe you've had this experience. So you go outside and it's really uncomfortable. The kids are crying. Everyone's cold and wet or whatever the experience is. And when you come back in, you always feel better. Almost no matter how bad the experience was outside, (laughs) as long as you're not hypothermic, maybe, you feel better coming back inside. And so I think that is what nature does to us. It helps us create, you know, go outside of our comfort zones, go to the edge of the comfort Mm -hmm. zones, create a little bit more space there and flexibility there. And so then when we go, when we are fully inside our comfort zone, we actually have a lot more tools to play with and we're ready. We're like honed in. Our nervous system is more in regulation. We can focus more. There's so many studies and books and things out there that talk about those kinds of things. So in my opinion, children, whether they go to nature school, whether they play free play outside, whether, you know, it's just on the playground at school for 30, 45 minutes, whatever, it's always of benefit because they're contextualizing their environment and they're learning all these things that being said, some of the other benefits that we've seen are empowerment, Mm -hmm. you know, like this uh, resiliency and friendship, you know, we really teach the children to uh, lean into each other and ask for help and things like that. And then those things um, also trickle into the families from what I've heard, you know, they'll say they're more enabled as a family to go outside because Mm -hmm. now their child isn't as resistant or, you know, so we, we like to hike. Now our child can actually hike with us. Or, we you know, we do have some families that say, we want to get into nature, but we don't know how. Mm-hmm. Now we feel like we're around community that can help us with that. Mm-hmm. Or our child is, is more comfortable, so we're learning to be more comfortable. So there's a lot of trickles, trickles yeah. out. Okay, so my kids had a question. After, when they heard about this interview, they're like, we want to ask a question. That's <laughs> <Yes>, awesome. <laughs> right? So... The first question was, what do you love most about teaching nature school? Mm. That is a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have your answer? My top three. (laughs) (laughs) That's a trifecta of awesomeness. I love singing the nature songs outside. They bring me a lot of joy. 
So I personally sing a lot while I'm in nature school, sing the, you know, all these like earth wisdom songs we call, or I call them. And um, looking up at the trees and seeing the wind passing and seeing, just looking up and seeing nature. We were at this overlook, we call it, you know, it's like a trail and there's like a little hill that goes down and paths and things like that but you can see the mountains in the distance mm-hmm. and then there's like a meadow right there and we're sitting in the sun and it's just like playing with the children rocks dinosaurs buckets and then you look up and there's the mountains or you know you're in the forest and you look up and there are the trees swaying so that is my second favorite thing and laughing with the children i just yes. love it it's such a joy so those are my top three sorry Finn, I <laughs> I would say that I get my daily dose of nature and to be outside with amazing little humans um, and the sense of community, both like with the families, with the staff and then with the kids. I know them so well and I get to be with them and see them at their best and their worst and their challenges and their um, successes. And I think that that is probably one of the most rewarding things. I love that you say that you're community, that it's a community with the kids because we had a stressful event at our house and Finn came up and he said, try this breathing technique. Sarah's husband does it all the time and it calms him down. Like she's like, she, he, under, like he is just as interested in what you, your lives and you and, and, and I just, I was like, I love that. That's what you brought home from. Like that wasn't a curriculum thing, but it's a, it's a relaxing breathing technique. And I thought it was great. Okay. And so the other question was, <laughs> I have to laugh because, and I have this recorded because I was interviewing them when I asked this. The question from Roan was, what will nature school be like in the future? But it was amended by Finn, which is, what do you think nature school will be like in the future? Because you don't know. Awesome. Curiosity and wonder. That's right. Well, I, contextualized future. Are we talking about yeah, in two years or are we talking? I think, I, think you can, I think that you can answer however you like. <laughs> I would like to envision that um, nature school is accessible to everybody Mm, so that it is in public school. It's part of the public school curriculum. It's accessible for free to people. And, you know, there's so many ways that it is available that it is not even a thing anymore. Yeah. It's just the way that we, of course. Right. Like it's not school and nature yeah. school. It's just school. <laughs> yes. Yeah, pick your, school. pick your poison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that, you know, um, that we are all so in the mindset of that we are nature that, um, we're thinking about, you know, at this point now we're talking about nurturance and attachment and things like that in, in how children are raised and, I want it to at some point be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. How are mm-hmm. children? Are we, you know, we talk now in the United States a lot about read to your child from the youngest age, right. but we also, at some point, I think it will be, um, remember, take your child outside every day, right. let them play <laughs> and touch and explore and um, put things in their mouth or whatever it is, um, you know, at every age too. So I, I hope that's the, the future of nature school is it is nature yes. All the time. time. (laughs) It's like toothbrushing, right? Like there has there we have had many successful public health messages come out that are based on, hey, we realize that this early is something that decreases the need for things, therapies down the road. So take care of your teeth and brush every day, make sure you exercise a little bit, that nature will just be one of those things, which means more efforts to make sure it's available to everyone. 
Mm-hmm. We'll have to be lockstep with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we go, I get a lot of questions. Okay. I answer two per podcast, <laughs> and we have a collective that sponsors them. Each part of the collective sponsors the second question. They take a turn. Today, it's my Mayu. We let my Mayu outdoor boots sponsor this kind of question or tip section that we're about to go down because they are also a sponsor of your nature school. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, Susan. I know. She's so great. So I get a lot of questions about gear and I'm sure you do too. I remember Sarah, when you were starting before you launched the big school, you were like trying to figure out gear and gear is so essential. And I'd like to broaden the idea of gear to be beyond clothing, but also Mm. the food that people pack with them. Because, (laughs) because I think that if you're used to sitting all day, that your nutritional needs, energy needs, ratio needs would be different than if you're out moving. And so like that gets lost sometimes. And people are like, kids aren't hanging. Like I am having a hard time taking my own kids out for a hike. And cause, and it's like, well, you might want to check their gear, including what they're being fed, because that might be the key. I mean, I have figured out the balance of food that can make for 10 mile hike for little kids, <laughs> but it's like a, it's like a chemistry experiment. Does I was it like, include a lot of chocolate? It, does, it includes some chocolate. Like if we're going to go over and it actually includes the promise of chocolate, they actually, they're not fueled by chocolate. They're fueled by the promise of chocolate on the other side. But anyway, what are some gear tips that you have general and you guys filmed a ton of amazing videos Mm -hmm. that hopefully someday we'll all like wind up on one page on your website (laughs) so someone can just watch and look at all of them and see all that work that you did because it's super helpful but like what are what are like what is your best gear tip best gear tip I think it's what's comfortable for your child, right? Um, Sarah and I were actually talking this the other day. You could spend $40 on a pair of rain pants and they're never going to wear them right? because it's not comfortable to them. So finding what's comfortable to the, your, for your child, asking other parents what's comfortable. We have a, a closed family Facebook group and a lot of the times new families will come on and be like, what does your child wear? Like, what do they like? What's comfortable to them? And if it's not comfortable to them, they're not going to wear it and they're not going to keep it on. And so what's the point of sending it to school with them? Although, please still send me yeah. even if your kids aren't going to wear it. Even if they don't want to wear it. Yes, we might, we might still just get it on them if they want to see um, I would like to say for my Mayus, one of our families yeah. in particular found that um, putting cornstarch in the boot at the beginning of the day, maybe that came from your family even, I know it's circulated around, um, putting cornstarch in can help the child navigate getting their foot in and out. So that's been helpful. Um, a lot of parents in our school use my maze and which has got Ron every morning yelling. She's like, where's my flower? And I was like, what do you mean? And then she's like, my cornstarch. She just likes to, it just slips the boot right yeah, on. Yep. And then I, I understand you just pour it out at the end of the day. Um, so I think that finding the right gear is great. I, I joke that nature school uniform is pajamas because fleece Fleece. (laughs) is easy to come by in pajamas so you know Mm -hmm. layers is a key being flexible and I think you know when you want to talk about gear and having it be bigger than just the clothing you're putting on I think you have to include mindset Mm. recognizing that when you go outside especially if you're going outside to go to the edge of your comfort zone whether that's a 30 minute hike 
with your kids, which I just did for the first time the other day. I'd never taken my own children hiking all by myself before. And we got on the trail for like 30 minutes and everyone was melting down. I was like, awesome. We did this. This is great. Let's go. <laughs> Better than being inside. Yeah. And also, you know, that was the end of, edge of our comfort zone. I learned a lot. Why am I uncomfortable with this? Oh, for these X, Y, Z reasons. So, you know, when you go to the edge of your comfort zone, recognize that you're actually learning a lot mm. there. And so the mindset is really key. We're just going to go out to to the point where it's no longer fun. Maybe that's what you do. Or maybe you say, we're just going to go out for 20 minutes and then you, you're still having fun at 20 minutes, then you stay another 10. You know, so you don't have to make it epic, actually. What you want to do is make it attainable so that you have a positive experience. And so, you know, getting... One time my son, my husband... Um, went outside with our children. He got them all bundled up and they literally like played in the puddle in the road in front of our house for like 20 minutes, got sopping wet and he took them back in and he said, I think I took longer to get them dressed than, than I actually was outside with them. But at the end, they came back in and they had that experience of like, ah, we feel so much better, you know? So making it attainable is, is part of the mindset that I would like to encourage as part of the gear. And recognizing that there are going to be challenges. And if you can mitigate those challenges with promises of chocolate, maybe that's the right tool. <laughs> or or recognizing that like sometimes you need to experience, we do this at the school, it's okay to experience the meltdown actually. Yeah. Because sometimes, not every time, you get to choose when you want to do that. But you can experience the meltdown because there's a lot to learn. Oh, this is why we put on that extra coat. This is why we X, Y, Z. Um you know, later when you've calm and you're comfortable again, then you can talk about and learn from. So, you know, those are part of the gear options too, is the mindset. I think food is a big yeah. one. One of the parents taught me recently that they pack like four proteins. Yes. I had that like changed. <sighs> protein, protein, protein is a game changer. Mm-hmm. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. Yeah. Yep. And if that means that you pack, you know, some foods that you buy special for nature school day, maybe that, that works or, or special for the hike or yeah. whatever it is. So having a lot of protein, I would say also having a decent amount of carbs. Oh, yeah. Um, And a warm drink in the winter. Yeah, that's... The kids who have a warm drink and are warming from the inside, like, there's such a difference in how much they can tolerate being cold if they have a warm drink with them. Very comforting. Yeah. Another thing is fear. Recognizing Mm -hmm. that we are modern people and we probably have a lot of fear, conscious or subconscious, and recognizing where you're taking your fear along with you. So... You know, um, it doesn't mean that it has to inhibit you. Maybe you just go to the edge of that. So, for example, you know, I took my kids hiking and I had some fears. And and so I went to where I felt like I could still be safe and comfortable, explore the edge of what I felt comfortable with, but not go outside of where I was felt safe. You know, I stayed where I felt safe. So we went hiking for half an hour and then I realized there were no more people on the trail. And I'm, you know, an hour up a mountain with no cell service. And I have three kids. I'm like, "Hmm, okay, I'm not feeling safe anymore. We were at the edge of our comfort level for other reasons before that. But now I'm not feeling safe. So I'm going to honor that and I'm going to move back into where I feel safe. Um, So recognizing that, you know, I've, I've seen some discussions on Facebook and different you know, forums and things like that about how people feel around being safe outside with their children. And safety is a huge one, especially when you're trying to role model for your children. So if you feel uncomfortable touching bugs or, you know, being out on a trail, you can subconsciously model that for them, which is okay 
because it's better than not going at all, maybe. <laughs> but you just have to recognize like where you have your fear and just maybe honor it. And also when you can notice it and, and recognize it, it's mm-hmm. like at play here. Because I think that fear is another piece of the, you know, gear, <laughs> piece of the gear that we're taking with us. So that might not be the heart of the question. You're well, asking, I think it's actually it's, better than the heart of the question because it recognizes that you're you're showing up like you're showing up yes. with things and mm-hmm. and those and you can move things around or choose things or be aware of different things and yeah. how those things that you're bringing are affecting your experience. Especially if you're if your fear is that your children will get too cold and then they're going to have a meltdown and it's going to be uncomfortable. Then you notice, I feel fear about this. I bring extra clothes, even if that's not what they're going to wear. Or we plan a shorter outing or we make sure that we can be successful so that we want to try it again later. Right. You know? Yeah. All right. Well, that was amazing. Thank you both. Where can people find more about Olympic Nature Experience and see pictures of what's going on daily? Yeah. So our website is OlympicNatureExperience.org. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Olympic Nature Experience. Great. Go follow them. It's like inspiring. I think it's, and it's just the little videos that you post are great ideas for someone who's thinking, you don't have to start a nature school, but you can do almost everything that's on there in your backyard. You could do it in a park. I used to do nature babysitting where I would say, I'm going to this park and I'm going to do this one mile loop drop off. I feel okay with, you know, five toddlers or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and like that would be my contribution. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything else that you want to leave the peoples with? Thank you so much for this time. And I just would like to encourage, you know, for you to enjoy a little bit of nature today. Maybe just listen to the bird songs. It's spring some places in the world Mm -hmm. and (laughs) the birds are out and the sun might be shining or maybe the clouds are epically dark and gloomy, but they might be beautiful too. So I hope you just can enjoy a little bit of nature and be grateful for its effect in your life today. Friends, if you want to dig deeper into some of the ideas we just talked about around nature, education, check out my book, Movement Matters. You will find lots of resources for naturing up your homeschooling if you do that or just bringing a little more nature to your kids' education however they get it. Movement Matters is a great resource thanks to Sarah Salazar-Tipton who helped compile that appendix. As for me, I will be moving my DNA all over the place this spring. I am headed to Canada in May, British Columbia specifically. I'll be in Victoria and I'll be in Vancouver. I'm going to go to Europe as soon as I get back from Canada. Don't worry, I'll take two days off. Europe, I'm coming for you in June. I'm going to be doing events in Scotland, in England, in Germany, in Spain. I'm going to be doing some res events For you restorative exercise specialists out there in Italy and in the Netherlands, if you want to find out what I will be doing, go to the show notes. We will link to all of these events, and you can also find more on my live events link on the calendar on nutritiousmovement.com. While you're there, sign up for my newsletter. Come say hi on social media. You'll find all kinds of movement tips on my Instagram slash nutritious movement. If you have any questions or if there's something you'd like to know, email podcast at nutritiousmovement.com. We really appreciate your questions. If you enjoy listening to Move Your DNA, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps other listeners decide if they should take a chance on this podcast. So on behalf of everyone at Move Your DNA Nutritious Movement, thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. 
Thank you also to our sponsors in the Dynamic Collective, and thank you to Joyce Saunders, who wrote the Tamarack song. What is a Tamarack, you ask? Joyce and her band, The Wilderbeats, will fill you in. Find them at wilderbeats.com and find more links to Ashley Moffat and Joyce Saunders' music in our show notes. Tamarack, Juniper, This has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such. Next time you're outside playing and a tamarack is in sight, why don't you get up close and notice what those needles are? They grow in little bunches that look just like tiny brooms. If you were only a couple inches tall, you could use one to sweep your room. Tamarack, hackmatack, juniper. Oh, but it isn't what it seems.
deciduous really needs. And in the season we call autumn, you can't see the falling leaves. The beautiful red maple is the one that we know best. But the larches drop their needles too, so they also pass the test. One more time, it's decided.